0: Amen. Good morning, Riverside. How are we doing? Yes. Great. So grateful you are here this morning. Oh, there it is. Sorry. Uh, we are in week three of our summer series called uh, Camping in the Parables. Uh, Jesus was this master, brilliant storyteller. And one of the ways that he would teach kingdom realities is by telling um, these short parables that were loaded with potential. And uh, the parables, honestly, are not easy, and they're very difficult. It's almost as if Jesus is saying to us through the parables, hey, do you want to see something really beautiful? It's going to not be easy, and it's going to cost you something, but you've got to be willing. You've got to be hungry. I want to show you something, so are you ready to go with me? And that's really the heart of what we've been digging into over the, these pa- uh, uh, past couple weeks by diving into the parables, is that going on this journey with Jesus to see something really beautiful that he wants to show us. This morning, we are going to be hitting probably one of the most famous parables in all of the scripture. In fact, whether you would call yourself a follower of Jesus or not, everybody has heard this parable before. And the problem with that, uh, if you could say there's a problem with familiarity, is that it's familiar. And that when sometimes things become so familiar to us, they actually lose their bite. They lose the teeth that uh, it actually comes with because we become numb to it. We hear it, we've heard it, we know the story. But the story that we're gonna be covering this morning for the original hearers would have been utterly shocking. And confrontational and very, very, very disruptive and maybe just a little bit offensive to the original heroes. Now, so this morning we're going to be jumping into uh, the story of the lost son or the prodigal son. Uh, it's found in Luke 15. Now, um, in your Bibles, as you are flipping there, or if you're going to follow along on the screen, uh, Uh, It's in Luke 15, you might see a title over the passage that we're going to cover this morning and it says something like uh, the prodigal son or my Bible says the story of the lost son. Now, this morning, here's what I want to propose to you this morning is you have to understand that those headers were added years later and are not actually, uh, they're there to help orientate us and guide us and help us find things. The story that we're going to cover this morning, I think, is mislabeled in most of our Bibles. I don't think it's the story of a lost son or a prodigal son. As you will see this morning, the more and more we dive into it, we're going to be introduced to not one son, but two sons that are both lost. And so I think the story that God is going to tell through the parables this morning is the story of the prodigal sons or the story of the lost Sons. Now, before we jump into the passage this morning, I want to give you a little bit of context of where we're going to be going because it's really, really important. Jesus was a brilliant teacher, and people would be drawn to his teaching and would come from all over to come hear him. And not just like, like the usual suspects, but all sorts of people would be drawn to Jesus And so our parable opens up in Luke 15 uh, with kind of a familiar setting. Jesus is doing some teaching, and the uh, church people are show up. Of course, they're going to show up because they want to hear Jesus' teaching. We are told that it's the hyper-religious group known as the Pharisees are there, which are these, uh, they would have considered themselves kind of the religious elite or the experts, or they know how to do the religious thing. They're showed up, but there's also this other group of people that no one would expect to be there because actually, just for all practical purposes, they probably don't belong. Um, The scripture says that not only is Jesus there with a whole bunch of religious people, but Jesus is there with a whole bunch of sinners. And not just sinners, but like varsity level sinners, like the notorious people. Like if I tossed out their name, you would say, no, what, what are they doing there? They don't certainly belong there but Jesus has this brilliant way of drawing people together. And he's telling this parable this morning, and he's going to confront two very, very, very different groups of people that have come to hear him. One, the religious proud, and the other, people that don't even believe they have a seat at the table. And Jesus is going to tell this parable that actually confronts both of those lies. And so he's going to unroll that this morning. This morning, Uh, I couldn't do it. I couldn't get through it in one Sunday. And so today, we're going to be focusing on just the younger brother. And next week, we're going to jump into the story of the older brother. But this week, I want us to focus in on the younger brother. And I want you, if you're okay with it, which I don't know why I'm asking, (laughs) but I hope you're okay with it, uh, I want you to cast yourself in the role of the younger brother. And here's the question that I want us to be looking at this morning, is how does God feel about lost things? How does God feel about lost things? And here's what I want you to consider. I'm not talking about like, hey, babe, where are my keys? I don't know where my keys are at. Hey, um, I don't know where my wallet is. I can't find it. Where's my phone? We're not talking about lost things like that, but we're talking about lost things. I mean, we're talking about just straight-up rebellion. We're talking about those who have said, I don't want anything to do with it. I know what's best for me, thanks but no thanks, I'm out, I got it, don't tell me what to do. How does God feel about those, me, you, us, that choose to say, no thanks, I got it, and then choose to go in our own direction? That's the context of what we're going to be wrestling with this morning. So Luke 15, we're going to jump into it this morning. We got a lot of ground to cover, and I'll just tell you, this morning is critically important. Um, A.W. Tozer says this, uh, he has this brilliant quote that says, What you think about God is perhaps the most important thing about you. And he says that because what you think about God actually has this way of of how you actually come and approach him. And Jesus is going to be right-siding the parable, through this parable, right-siding the perspective of how we answer this question, of how does God feel about lost things. All right, Luke 15, that's where we're going to be, uh, starting down in verse 11. It says this, Jesus continued, there was a man who had not one, but two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate now, or give me my inheritance now. So the father divided up the property between the two of them. Now, let's pause. As a parent, there are very few things that can rattle you more than the words that come out of your kid's mouth. I want you to think about what this younger son has actually just said to his dad. When do you get an inheritance? When you die. What is this boy saying to his father? Give it to me now. You know what he's really doing? You're as good as dead to me. I don't want to know you. I don't care about you. I don't want a relationship with you. Just give me your stuff. I hate you, dad. To me, you're as good as dead. I want nothing from you but what's due to me. And the parable opens up with these shocking words of this younger son with a finger in his dad's face. I don't want you. I don't want anything from you. I don't want to know you. Just give it to me. I don't value relationship with you. The only thing I value about you is your stuff. So give me what is due to me and what is shocking. is not only the words, I can't even get that out of my mouth. It hurts so bad to say, to think about one of my kids telling me that. And the words are not only shocking, but the father's response is utterly, it's almost just inappropriate father divides up the property between the two of them put yourself in that scenario uh in my life group uh i can imagine what how this conversation would go if one of uh, our friends in our life group came to us and they're like man we've been having problems with our son and it's getting really bad and last week he told me he hated me and he wishes i was dead and he wants his inheritance now so we've put our house up on the market We've liquidated all of our assets, we've cleaned out our retirement, and we're going to give our son his inheritance now. What are you thinking? What parent would ever do that? What would you tell somebody in your life group? What would you tell one of your friends if some rebellious, hard-hearted kid stuck their finger in their dad's face and said, to me, you're as good as dead? What would you tell them? No way. No, that's ridiculous. And yet, this is what we see this dad do. In Jewish culture, uh, the oldest would have got two-thirds, and the youngest would have gotten a third. And so this father liquidated everything. He's been working his whole life. He's acquired great wealth. He has people working in his house. And one day, his son sticks a finger in and says, face and says, to me, you're as good as dead. And just like that, a third of all of it's gone to this younger boy. Let's keep going. Look at verse 13. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, all of his father's possessions and wealth, and he set off for a distant country. And there he squandered it on his wealth with wild living where is life found? Where is the good life experienced? It's not in dad's house. It's not in being in relationship with dad. Real life is found out there, somewhere other than where you're intended to be. So if you're a young teenage, young boy, and you got a pocket full of money, and you're ready to make some really bad decisions, where are you going to go? Vegas. (laughs) Vegas. And this boy takes off to a distant land and he's ready to make some really poor choices. And look, as you can see in a second, the story unfolds like you would think it would unfold. And it says this, look down at 14. After he had spent everything, everything, a severe famine came across the whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out as a citizen of that country who sent him into his field field to feed the pigs. He was so desperate that he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. And so when he came to his senses, he said, how many in my father's house have our father's hired servants have food to spare and I'm starving to death? And so after this boy wastes all of his dad's inheritance on booze and girls and prostitutes and wild living and partying, the money runs out. And a severe famine hits at the same time. And suddenly, this boy who is at like the living large side of the spectrum is at the other side of the spectrum. And he is so desperate and he is in such need that he does the unthinkable, especially for a young Jewish boy. He hires himself out to feed an unclean animal and he's slopping uh, pig feed. And it says that he comes to his senses. It says that he remembers that even in dad's house, the servants have enough food to spare. Look at what it says in verse 18. He says, This I will get out and go back to my father, and I will say, Dad. I've sinned against you, and I've sinned against heaven. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And this hired servant here in Greek is not even a servant in his dad's house, like an employee of his dad's, in his dad's house. It's like a day laborer that would come and go every morning and every evening. He could. There was not even a room for his, in his dad's house to be employed by his dad. He's a day laborer in his dad's house. And so the son starts coming up with his I'm sorry speech, his apology speech, and you have him, I have him. I had to give it to my daughter last night, the babe, I'm really sorry speech. Uh, We have a new puppy in the house, uh, which I don't know why, and uh, uh, if you're wondering why my nose might be bleeding and there's a scar on it and there's a cut on the inside of my nose, uh, it's because we have a puppy, and he's a biter, and uh, he's teething right now, and He's gonna be a really big dog. And so we keep telling the girls, like, hey, you gotta discipline, you gotta do this. And the girls last night were just riling them up. And I'm like, girls, you can't yell and you can't scream around the dog because all it does is excite him. Girls, you can't yell. And by uh, in the next 10 minutes, I'm like, girls, you can't scream at the dog. All it does is work the dog up and you stop yelling at the dog. Then my bride is like, quit yelling at the kids. You cannot <laughs> yell at them. Tell them to not yell at the dog when you're yelling. And, This is the conversation that's happening with this younger son. He's like, man, I got to go back and have my apology speech. You know the speech where you try and you go make it right. You say, I've blown it. I'm so sorry. I, I, I made a mistake. That's what this boy, as he's slopping the food, is coming up with his apology speech. And what I find so fascinating about this is the boy doesn't know the condition of his dad's heart. The boy doesn't know the condition of his dad's heart because if he knew the condition of his dad's heart, he would run home. And yet, the boy believes a lie about him that says, my dad's going to be furious. He's going to be upset. I'm no longer worthy to be called his son anymore. Me and my bride were talking about this passage this week. And she told me, she said, John, here's the truth. If we really knew how good the father was, we'd always go running home. We wouldn't hide. We wouldn't stay in the pig slop for one second longer. We'd run home. But there's a whole lot of us that have a misconception about how God feels about lost things. And this boy had a misconception about the character and nature of his dad. Look at verse 20, it says this. So he got up and he went To his father's house. Now remember, we're asking, we're wrestling with how does God feel about lost things? About those who have not just lost their keys, but that have stuck their finger in their father's face and said, I'm out, I don't want it anymore. How does God actually feel about those? Is dad going to say, Get over here, get back to the house? Here's a shovel, you get out there and you work it off. Do you realize? You've squandered and wasted a third of my life. Is that what his dad's going to say? Right now, the story begins to take this dramatic turn because you're going to get to see the condition of his dad's heart. All right? Look at verse 20. It says this. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still, what, a long way off, his father saw him and he was filled with anger he was filled with regret. He was filled with frustration and embarrassment that this lost son was coming home. Now, what does it say? He was filled with compassion for him. And it says that he ran to his son, which would have been uh, uh, just utterly embarrassing. You don't run. Uh, the father of the house would never run Because first of all, they wear like these tunic things, and you'd have to roll it up, and you'd see his legs, and it'd be weird and be awkward, and he just wouldn't do it. But this father has no inhibition and just runs right towards his boy. And you need to hear this this morning. It says, while he was a long way off, even when the son couldn't see the father, father still was. The father could still see the son there is this picture that the parable paints of this dad that gets up every morning and he goes to the top of the house and he's looking and he's just scanning the horizon day after day after day because even though the boy couldn't see the dad, the dad could see the boy coming from a long way Oh my gosh, y'all. Is that him? I think that's him. That looks like him. Guys, that's him. He's home. The father runs down the house, rolls his tunic up, takes off to greet his boy. Look at verse 21. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to him, quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. What's he doing? What is the best in the house? Ring, sandals, and robe. Who who has the best? Dad. This dad is giving him the best of what he has. He's restoring identity. He is telling the world, as you'll see in a second, that this one is mine, and this son belongs to me. He's part of my family, and so he's giving him all of the family's best stuff. Verse 23, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebration. For the son of mine was dead, and now he's alive again. He was lost, and now he's found. So they began to celebrate do you remember when the Spurs used to be good? Do you remember that? We got really spoiled for a lot of years. I mean, it was just assuming we were going to kick everyone's rears like every single year. And now it's like, I mean, I'm, I'm a Spurs fan and it's really hard to even keep up. Um, but do you remember when we used to win championships? What would the whole city come out and do? <laughs> We'd throw this massive parade and oh my gosh, we loved, We our city values our team winning. Uh, We bribe our kids. When uh, our kids make A's in school, they get $10. We, I'll straight up bribe my kids to make good grades, I don't even care. Because we value hard work and we value education. Um, Maggie uh, finished soccer up last weekend and for every goal she scored, she gets $10. Why? Because in this house we value winners, right? No. We, uh, we value competitiveness. We value teamwork. We value working hard. We value achievement. It matters. Not matters like everything, but it does matter. And so we value that. And so did you ever notice that you only celebrate the things that you value? I mean, you celebrate the things that you value. Do you see how Jesus is so brilliant right here. He's painting this picture of the Father's heart for us this morning. What does the Father value? When lost things are found, when people come home, when you come back into right relationship with Him, right? This boy is restored not to servant status, but this boy is returned to sonship, to being a son in dad's house right here. Before, did you notice that the father doesn't even listen to the son's speech? He's like, just, just, sorry, just shut up. I don't want to hear it. Get out the robe, get out the ring, put the sandals on my boy's feet. He's not even, before he has a chance to even make it right, the father's already welcoming him back home. That's right absolutely. Now, the Bible is full of these hidden gems in there. And if you pause long enough to ask the question, like, why is that in there? You'll see something just beautiful unfold. So, it says in verse 23, bring the fattened calf. This would have been the father's like prized possession. This would be uh, not, um, uh, uh, you wouldn't kill a calf for like the family dinner. Like This calf would have fed like multiple, multiple, multiple families, and it would have been the father's best of the best that he has to offer. It would be like uh, um, not just me taking my family to Ruth Chris, but taking all of you. Hey, guys, I've rented out the whole restaurant. Come with me. You're going to get the best of the best today. I'm taking you all out. This is what the father is doing. That fattened calf would have been um, reserved for only the specialist occasions like a banquet or a wedding or the father's best day. And the father says, get out that fattened calf. Now, do you know what my next question was? Is, question was, is how long does it take a calf to get fat? Because <laughs> the scripture is very on purpose. And in my mind, it says, well, bring out the fattened calf how long does it take a calf to get fat i don't raise calves i don't raise cows i don't know anything about that but i would imagine it doesn't happen overnight it doesn't happen in a week probably doesn't happen in a month but i would imagine for a calf to get really plump and fat it's got to take a, a long time so imagine that imagine the dad when the boy takes off you know what the dad's first first response is hey hey You know that scrawny calf that's tied up out back? Put it in the best field we have. Let's fatten that boy up. Let's get that calf big and fat because one day my boy's going to come home. One day. It may not be tomorrow. It may not be next week. But one day we are going to celebrate when that boy comes home. Do you know what the father does the moment the son leaves? He becomes the world's best party planner. He plans the celebration for when the sun actually returns. Put him in the field. Fatten him up because one day the boy who is lost is going to be found. And Jesus, remember, is telling this parable to two very different groups of people. Next week we're going to dial into the older brother. But remember, he's telling this story about the younger brother to a whole bunch of riffraff that, that honestly, from all practical purposes, don't belong. <laughs> like, they can't even imagine a seat at the table. And what does this parable shove in their face? What does this parable confront? How is it jarring to these people that think that they don't even belong? Remember, this story is about how does God feel about lost things. And you can tell, brothers and sisters, about, how, about what somebody values by what they're willing to celebrate. And this dad celebrates when something that is lost is found. Now, I want to I be honest with us this morning. How many of us would say, oh, that's me. Like, I, like. maybe not my whole life, but there are chunks of my life where I'm prodigal. I have chosen, not relationship, but I got it. No thanks. And there are chunks of our lives where we are in a distant land, and we're, honestly, we're, we're living in pig slop. That's me. I mean, I've got my stuff. You've got your stuff. We all have our stuff. And there's this invitation from Jesus, like, come home. Come home. Come home. If we really knew how good he actually is, we wouldn't do anything but run back to dad's house. How does God feel about lost things. Let's watch this.
1: Me, I, mean, I, I know it's been a long time since we talked, I was, you know, was kind of hoping you'd answer, but um, I understand you probably don't want to talk to me. I've just gone so far, and the things I've done, I, I just regret it, you know? And I know how bad I've hurt you and let you down, but, but Dad, I... I miss you. I miss how we drive around and just talk about life. And I just, I just want to come home. But I know you've probably written me off. I can't blame you actually. Here's, here's, here's the thing. (laughs) It's kind of a shot in the dark coming through town soon and and I'd really just like to see you I know I can't just show up at the front door like I used to but but if you want to see me just hang a small sheet out on the porch and if the sheet isn't there when I drive by I'll keep going and, and I'll try not to bother you anymore I love you dad
0: you're all (laughs) teary-eyed is because there's there's something so beautiful, so provocative, something that just just draws you in about coming home. The boy believed the lie that real life is found out there on my own, self-sufficient. And the story, the parable, tells us There is no life found out, no life outside of what's found in Jesus Christ, of being in dad's house. And that's for you this morning, that's for me. All of those little areas where we have become lost, all the prodigal parts of our lives, there's an invitation from Jesus to come home. How does God feel about lost things? Well, what does God celebrate? When lost things become found. This morning, uh, we get to do uh, something that is, it, it does not get any better than this. It does not get any bigger than this. It's when people have crossed the threshold and they say that my life no longer belongs to me, that I am not becoming a better version of myself, but I was spiritually dead. And now I've become spiritually alive. And this morning, we get to celebrate three people choosing to put on Christ in new life. As you saw, three people that have come home that are saying that that life is not found on my own, but that life is found in right relationship with Jesus Christ. And so I'm going to invite, oh, sorry, I'm going to invite Adam and Crosby uh, up This morning, uh, these are some of our good friends in our life group. And so I'm going to invite Adam and Crosby on up here, and we're going to get to baptize uh, both of them, husband and wife. And if your family wants to come up here as well, or members of our life group, you are more than welcome to come up here and uh, help with the baptism. And let me just tell you kind of our tradition around here. um, There's lots of things to celebrate. Remember, remember from the story, what you celebrate are the things that you value, and we value this we value people crossing the threshold uh and so riverside here's kind of what we're going to do we're going to dunk them underwater and when they come up and out of the water you are up and on your feet and yes and we are cheering alongside of what alongside of all of heaven because heaven is cheering in this moment as as well and so uh, we're going to baptize adam and crosby right now and uh let's go ahead and uh, who's up first all right, come on. All right, so why don't you go ahead and hop in. Is it nice and warm? <laughs> oh, it's cold, good. <laughs> all right, and so uh, Riverside, I'm gonna ask her some questions. We're gonna dunk her, and here we go, all right? All right, and so uh, Crosby, do you come today to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ? Do you promise from this day forward that you will love and follow and serve him all the days of your life? From this day forward, do you live with the conviction that your life no longer belongs to you, that you belong to him? And from this day forward, do you promise not only to love him, but do you promise to allow him to love you right back? You do? Amen. And so we're going to baptize you. Come on up. Let's help. And so Crosby, it's cold and we're going to do it. (laughs) We're going to baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All the way under. Come on, Riverside! (laughs) Just beautiful. Adam, hop on in, man. Uh, It's so fun to see a husband and wife do this too. Just a powerful declaration as a family to say that your family, we are following Jesus. And so such a beautiful picture. And so I want to ask you the same questions. Do you come today to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ? Do you promise from this day forward that your life no longer belongs to you, but that you fully surrender your life, your will, your heart and emotions to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? All right. And so, Adam, we baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Yes! Yes!
1: Yeah!
0: <laughs> Love you, oh, Thank you. Hold tight one sec. Hey, in our tradition around here, whenever we baptize people for the next 30 days, we like to have a couple different people praying for them. Uh, and so for uh, I want three people to pray for Crosby for the next 30 days. Can I just see some hands? There's one, two, three. So that's three for Crosby and three people that will pray for Adam for the next 30 days. One, two, and three. Right there. Unbelievable. Thank you guys so much. Absolutely. All right, friends, we got one more. I'm going to invite Rachel on up and her family to come up and join us uh, this morning. Oh, my gosh. This is a, a lot of fun. This is a privilege. It's a privilege to see somebody young say, this no longer belongs to me, that my life is not my life, but I surrender my life fully to him. And so it's just such a privilege to baptize you this morning. So hop in. It is cold, I'm just saying. Okay. Absolutely. So what a privilege. And so I'm going to ask you just a few questions. Um, So from this day forward, do you promise to love and serve Jesus all the days of your life? Amen. And so from this day forward, do you believe that your life no longer belongs to you, but that you are being... uh, your old life is being put to death, and Christ is raising you up to new life. Amen. And so we're going to baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All right, family, are you ready? So let's baptize you, all right? All the way under. One, two, three, let's go. Yeah! yeah. <laughs> What's a privilege. All right, next 30 days, who will pray for uh, Rachel this morning? We want three people to pray for her this morning. One, two, one more. Oh, three in the back. That's awesome. Unbelievable. Congratulations. Thank you, family. Absolutely. Hey, let's hear it for all of them this morning. All right. Hey, one last thing, one last thing, one last thing. It's here. Is there anybody else that feels like... Man, I've been a long way off, and today's the day I want to come home. Is there anybody else? I just want to make it available. It's pretty difficult to fill it and to get it in here and do all that stuff. (laughs) So while it's here, is there anybody else that just want to pause? Going once, twice, okay. Hey, brothers and sisters, uh, I just want to remind you, as always, our prayer teams will be available. If you're like me, the story of the prodigal son or the the story of the lost sons always stirs up stuff in me. There is no greater privilege than having people come alongside you and pray for you and encourage you and stand in the gap. Our prayer teams will be available up here and would love the privilege of coming alongside you. If you have people in your life like I do that um, are misplaced, that may be like the prodigal that have left, come up. Let's stand in the gap for those people that are in your life that you love as well. So our prayer teams will be available right up here. It's some of the best work that we do on Sunday. I want to encourage you to do that. Uh, Moms, dads with little ones, I'll meet you right outside for some ice cream uh, and to get to know kind of some of the younger children's ministry people. And so we'll do that right after the service. But would you stand? Would you receive this blessing? as you go. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face to shine upon you, to be gracious and kind to you. May He lift up His face, turn His countenance toward you. Because when you were a long way off, He still had His eye on you because he's gracious and kind. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit, all of God's children said amen. All right, love you, my friends. Have a great week.